0: to another episode of Horus Heretics. I'm one of your hosts, Neil.
1: I'm your other host, William.
0: And I'm going... (laughs) We are going to be taking you through the final piece of Mechanicum by Graham McNeil. Um, Recapping the first uh,
1: podcast that we did, Well, we really liked the first half. Fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Found it to be a rich uh, setting full of potential. There seemed to be Real depth to it in terms of, uh, well, I say real depth, but you know there was like a lot of potential in terms of these different factions and stuff um, on on Mars, and we we just enjoyed it. Yeah, it was like it was what the kind of stuff that makes the forty k universe distinctive was heavily present in this book. You know, like machine people and yeah. that kind of thing. Anyway, yeah, so we left it. Uh,
0: Dahlia, our heroine, uh, is upset and screaming in a room with Jonas um, as sort of all the light of the Astronomicon goes into him and um, he shows her her destiny and she sort of falls into a bit of a stupor or something and uh, on the other side of the planet Legio Mortis, is that right? The bad one, yeah Mortis they're uh, their engines are walking because Kel Borhal has decided to finally uh, show his obvious heresy, <laughs> <laughs> and he's finally come to come clean, and he sent the Legio out, and they are sort of walking on a on a collision course for the sovereign lands of uh, Legio Tempestus. So they they're all scrambling out their own uh, <coughs> engines and. Uh, Cavalier, uh, Cavalerio, their uh, princeps shows up in the nick of time and uh, he sends out a few sort of warnings don't come any closer otherwise you may be fired upon, that kind of stuff but they breach the line anyway and that
1: is sort of a, a sort of de facto declaration of war They they breach the line but they just then kind of swerve off in a different direction and uh Go and do something else. Uh, I, I think I,
0: I think you're, I think you're underselling this bit because I thought this was good. I thought the, um, it felt
1: like a good, a good standoff. Um, I have, I've got something to say about this bit and uh-oh. other bits, um, but we'll, we'll. Uh, I don't know if I should say it now because well, okay. What I'm going to say is like, this bit. It was no, this bit in its own right was fine, right? But this book, I totally thought after we'd read the first half of this book. Then it came to, like, a new section, whatever it was called. Stupid names for the sections in this book. Um, and it was... Uh, I was like, right, this is going to be 100% war, like, the rest of this book. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I really did think that. I thought, like, that was going to be them. And that's fine that it wasn't, right? But, like, they seem to do this thing. Doesn't sound fine. Through a, through a, I can't really talk about this without... Spoiling the rest of the discussion, so we'll come back to it. Okay, okay. move on. <laughs> okay. Um, well, uh,
0: the thing that uh, happens uh, as Mortis like veer off is they broadcast a piece of bad code, like... Uh, but yeah it, it's it doesn't work it doesn't work as
1: a as a, a thing to hang a complete <laughs> planetary destruction on code code has the role of magic in this book like, yes it just can do it's literally it is all things it is it's like the force it is you know what i mean it's just yeah. it binds us and surrounds us and is in everything and is everything and yeah that you don't have to worry about it too much <laughs> it's just it's like normal chaos magic except code yeah it.
0: exactly exactly it's um <clears throat> it can do you anything it has no boundaries and therefore it's not very interesting but it's it's a bit technological in this but in, in this bit <laughs> but the the long and short of it is that they all sort of breathe hard and uh breathe hard uh with relief and uh, they're like we've we've <laughs> shut up and we've um we've sort of dodged a bullet here cuz uh Legio mortis is uh, titans are just way better um, but unfortunately their lead uh, titan Victorix Magna appears dead because of the, the <coughs> code that's the one that Cavalier Cavalario, uh drives or rides or steers or
1: whatever that whatever they do is it not also because he like pushed it so hard to get back in time for that standoff because like he was out he was scouting around with a party of of them and then like there was some or there was a, like there was a mist being kicked up there was a weather a chaos weather event was in <laughs> <Yeah>. place, <laughs> and that was like so they couldn't see where the the Legium mortis titans were um so, so then he so they did eventually see them and he was away off somewhere so he kind of raced back and that sort of messed up his titan a bit or something yeah he was, he was he knew that
0: uh like someone got on the radio to him and said you better get back here quick quick as a flash and he did but he pushed it too hard and then combination of that and the magic um really fucked him over and so his titan is dead not quite sure at this point does that mean the
1: princess of a titan is dead too um can i ask you at this point man um after reading this book how how good do you feel your knowledge is of the different types of titans? Uh, pretty, pre- pretty good. Because mine's really bad. Like I, The, the big fight at the end will come up to, I was like, I can't remember which ones are the smallest ones, which ones are the middle ones. It goes, um, War- Warhounds,
0: Reavers, Warlord, Imperator.
1: So it's just four. Okay, fine.
0: Uh, right. Just four mentioned in this. Uh, there may be other ones. Okay, that's good. Right. Okay. So, uh, K- uh, Kelbor Hal uh is has gone gone full goth and he unveils his first combined battle servitors um using the magic that was got from the vaults beforehand. Um and that was he's very pleased and starts <laughs> sharing that knowledge around.
1: I mean we'd kind of already talked about this in the last episode, but this the 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 birth of the dark mechanicum as they start to call themselves. They and uh.
0: they call themselves that, but like that's the name that they have taken upon themselves.
1: Wait, I've got another stupid name discussion coming up right after this. Right? <laughs> but um but uh they, they, they have to. We, we, we did an awards thing. At New, not an awards thing, but like we decided our favorite things of the year. But this has to be the heel turn of the series <laughs> so far away. Like, just the the swiftness and the depth which which they transform. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We are the Dark Mechanicum. That's what we're calling ourselves now, boys. All right.
0: Don't don't get it twisted. We are the Dark Mechanicum. I no. By our, the way, our servitors could... are now are now horrible monster machines.
1: If you could if you get all just step right all over there we'll get you all mutated right up with some <laughs> chaos and, and send you out into battle like a bunch of uh, like and you'll also by the way like here's what we're following now, and they say it in such sort of a convincing way that they're all instantly super zealous about it and willing to like die in uh, yeah absolutely huge like, numbers not a not a problem uh oh, oh, this planet
0: that we love it's gone. We're just going to destroy it because uh, the next chapter just it gives a sort of uh, a kind of line by line item of destruction. Uh, the viral code thing spreads across the entire planet. And uh, it just goes through like small example after small example of like uh, manufactories that have been uh, in full production for centuries, shut down. Uh, ammo manufactories explode, destroying the entire forges of, like, high adepts and stuff. So it's just planetary destruction on a on an unforeseen, you know, uh, level.
1: There was, quite a, there was quite a bit of that type of description in this book, actually. Those kind of, like, montage, almost, like, scenes of just, yeah. here's things going on all over the planet. And um, Oh yeah, right. So that event, do you remember what the name of that was, Neil? Uh, I don't. It was quickly given the name, The Death of Innocence. <laughs>
0: you wonder how they um, named that themselves, don't you? It's like, well, this is definitely the death of our innocence. This is, okay. you know, like it's, it's a slightly
1: high-minded, portentous kind of thing to call it itself. Very much so, and they're all calling it that they're in a very short space of time. Even all these different factions, who are like, like, uh, you know, some of them like on different sides, and they're cut off, and their communications and stuff were cut off, and it's just oh, it's such a bad name. And maybe, uh, maybe yeah. the
0: the only thing that binds them all together is their their love for a ornate term. <laughs> Um, anyway the uh, dahlia and the rest of the the action hero team rebuild the akashic reader uh with new parts and stuff but zeth nerd nerd action heroes nerd Nerd action heroes heroes. yeah apologies um zeth isn't around because she's got more important things to do because her you know mars is falling apart um but Dahlia relates what Jonas had said to her before he dissolved. um He said, "I have seen the truth, and I am free. I know it all. The Emperor slaying the dragon of Mars, the grand lie of the red planet, and the truth that will shake the galaxy, all forgotten by man in the darkness of the labyrinth of night. yeah, okay
1: and I'm, I'm gonna give something away at the end of this book." We're still not going to know much more about what that's all about <laughs> by the end of this discussion. Well,
0: I, I i I think we learn. I we learn stuff. There is a we, big reveal that <coughs> I I am still shook by. That I that I, <laughs>
1: I. I'm literally wondering what that is at this point. It like, is I'm, so <laughs> stupid
0: that, like, all big reveals. Uh, And this is, like, this is a a classic reveal, you know, that everything in the second half of the book leads (coughs) up to this reveal of the Dragon of Mars and what it is and stuff. And all big reveals should leave you asking questions. But no big reveals should, (laughs) like, leave you asking so many stupid fucking questions (laughs) that this brings up. Um, I just can't wait to get to it. And the fact that you don't know what I'm talking about is...
1: Pleasing to me. Like I think we're gonna have a, a good discussion about it. Um so back to this point in the story. So they so she's had this kind of vision and she uh and and most of her pals, one of them stays behind, set off on a basically a quest to find the dragon that she kind of knows where it is. It's in this bit of the planet that um people don't really go into, it's sort of all messed up geological structures or hills and stuff or like canyons and things and um and there's sort of dark rumors about what happened there or something or, or people still living there but um they go off on a quest to find that and she and I, I mentioned it before more just like in terms of her role in the book she was she was almost like a kind of Frodo or they were like hobbits, you know what I mean? She yeah. was like warned about this world, and that was the readers went to. And then, sort of even more so in this in this book, not just in that way. She in the, she was had the sort of chosen one role of, um, you know, and going on this quest to carry something or to like I guess carry just take herself to this place, and everyone kind of knew this was an important. All the sort of more powerful people knew this was an important thing, um, but. Anyway, they so they start talking about how they're going to get away. They, they, they don't want to reveal to Zeth that they're yeah. escaping. And this was a belter of a line, <laughs> where they're they're talking about how, like, worried how the ways in which they're worried they might get spotted. Somebody says, or no, it's just written right. Throne knew how many different ways there were of monitoring a person's whereabouts biometric readings, facial recognition, genetic markers, spy skulls, or even good old fashioned eyes. (laughs) I just thought that was really fun. (laughs) Good old fashioned eyes. (laughs) Get the eyes on them. (laughs) Just imagine all these, like, (laughs) all these, like, well, does actually, there was a guy like this in the last week, just like these like hipsters and Mars with their affectations of using their eyes. You know what I mean? Everyone's like, (laughs) (laughs) everyone's like, fuck's sake, just biometrically read it for God's sake. (laughs) So, so they get,
0: they, they get onto a train, uh, and Ro Mu 30 something, uh, the protector from, uh, who was the first person to bring her to Mars. Um, he, Joins this, you know, the ragtag band of people on their quest, Uh, but he's been he's been sent. Obviously, Zeth is not unaware of this, and he's he's been sent as their protector. There is a a sort of discussion that they have about what is what is this line about the emperor slaying the dragon of Mars? Or it must be like a a metaphor, uh, the emperor bringing light and. You know, slaying the the rules of dogma and and fear and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, I, I get it. I don't need it explained. But then Caxton, one of the members of this group, says, "Can't they just be stories?" Asked Caxton. Uh, Why does everything have to mean something? <laughs> Dahlia ignored him and pressed on, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, fucking ignore him. Fucking- <laughs> fucking <laughs> stupid idiot I, know, it's, and, so, yeah. <laughs> I was like that's exactly what should be done to people who argue like that
1: I know it's like stop trying stop trying to make my hobby political <laughs> sort of like that's,
0: what I, that's the voice I yeah. heard when he was like but and Caxton and Dahlia are meant to have like this sexual stroke love relationship and it is the most un like Unloving,
1: unsexual relationship I've ever read. <laughs> I, just, like... I, I don't know why they even bothered with that yeah. story. Like, it's, there's no need for it. Uh, they could just have them being like friends, and it would have been more convincing. You know what I mean? It was like certainly Dahlia didn't s- seemed barely interested. Yeah. in in the relationship, I and mean, she was seemed to choose to be a part of it without having any strong feelings about. Him, as far as you could tell, um, and and it just was weird. Yeah, it was like, why did they write that in? Um,
0: yeah, and was- they they have they have a a, a conversation because she has like this, um, uh, what would you call it, just like this sort of feeling about the place, um, and about the dragon, and she starts talking about balance and conflict, and there was this kind of unpleasant. Um, paragraph about the the necessity of conflict. But, uh, like, you, how can you know what you are? How can you know what you know? What you believe in? Almost, if there's not always a conflict, and that's conflict is depicted as like destructive conflict and war. And she says, eternal summer would burn the world up, but eternal winter would freeze it to death. It's the fact that they alternate that allows life to grow and flourish. And that's not how seasons work. Like, that's a really bad <laughs> analogy. Like, if you I, like the, um, the whole, you know, you need to grow through conflict. That, you know, Babylon 5 did uh, a good representation of that. Um, the, saying that the, there are seasons and therefore <laughs> that is somehow a depiction of a eternal conflict is not true. And, but that's fine because that's the last we hear of that kind of philosophy uh, in the book, so that's okay.
1: And uh, <clears throat> yeah, so R- Romu thirty one. If you listen to the last episode, he's the Sudoku guy, or he <laughs> like, and well, uh, in that book, correct me if I'm wrong, right? In that book, sorry, in the first half of this book, when we were first introduced to him, um, he was part Of a group who were all who all had that name, yeah, but there was kind of one of them who got referred to as the character with that name. And anyway, this is there's only one of them now, so it's it's simple, but he's <laughs> uh, so he's the Sudoku guy, but um, he uh he turns out to be a surprisingly sensitive and nice robot man, yeah, uh, very much, <laughs> very much
0: more human than any of the um, companions on this quest. Uh we haven't even like we i gave the name Caxton there uh and that's the first time I think we've mentioned any of their names because they are so unnecessary like that their names that don't matter their individuality doesn't
1: matter they are just a group of nerds they they kind of have it's weird right they have roles little roles in the pot, but they their characters don't really amount to much significant. Like in relation to their roles, you know, it's like, um, anyway, we'll, we'll get on to that, but yeah, they're, they're, they're not too significant apart from Delia, obviously. Yeah. Um, <coughs> um, then we,
0: we get a bit of a Cavalario, he's in a tank of goo now. He uh isn't able, he's not well enough to be able to interface with a Titan in the normal way, so they have to do it through using a tank of goo. And that is like, it's like in the way a better way to interface with the machine and to control it. Basically, that's right, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So, like, they sort of talked about it. this is so. There's this way of going into the the goo and being kind of just more deeply connected to the machine somehow, and the other ways that he had done up to this point is kind of like you plug yourself in basically um somehow but then every time you detach it's really damages you and mm-hmm. there's only so much of it a human body can take basically. So he'd he'd always been of the opinion that, you know the 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 other way is, is better. But when um when he uh goes into the goo he he's actually like, Whoa this this shit's Good, like yeah. I did not know how great this was until I got it. It's a bit like, you know, when your dad first got a smartphone after like <laughs> years of saying, "I don't, it's all rubbish. I don't need one. I don't need one." Of them. No. And then sits like scrolling through it all the time. You know, it's it's a little bit like that.
0: Um, scrolling through eBay looking for classical music CDs for one penny. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, then there's a really awesome like mock battle scene. Um, with Cavalario, uh, and it's it kind of comes about uh, as a, a means to test his uh, battle readiness and ready readiness to uh, lead the legion. And it's it's quite short, but um, I thought it gave a really good uh, depiction of like the the processes of fighting in one of these things. How it's it's not it's not like Astartes in battle it is all uh, mechanized you know that there, there are people controlling other aspects of of the machine and he's just the brain giving orders basically and uh, yeah I, I really liked it you said that you wanted more battle did this not no suffice? I have a
1: point I have a point about this um, but yeah uh, yeah this this bit started uh, at the start of a chapter, it was like just in media res, you're in this battle, so it wasn't explained yep. initially that this was a simulation to kind of get him uh, back up to kind of, or, or to get him able to fight in this new form. Um, but uh, there was a line in this that I thought was, just for some reason, something about reading it, I thought that is about as typical a sentence from these books as i can imagine and it's not i don't mean the best or the worst i just mean about as typical and the line is moderati as soon as that reaver comes into view hit its upper carapace with a barrage from the carapace launcher three missile spread 5 second intervals just like i'd like i'd like to just have a look at that for in more detail for a second why I, why i thought that so it's, it contains like words that are a bit like real words <laughs> yeah that aren't necessarily like well just viewed out of context anyway you kind of know what they are it uses the word carapace twice in very quick succession Yeah. which is um you know there's a, like these books really have to dig into their thesauruses for sort of anatomical <laughs> words and yeah and, and, and thing and and then it's got sort of um things to do with fighting obviously and describing you know the, the the technical sort of yeah, the, fighting the process of
0: of war
1: anyway that so that so yeah this is as far as you can see from this this is a, a fight and it's a, it's a pretty well written bit overall and um but I was like like I say I started this book thinking this was going to be all all war the second half so I started the second half of this book thinking that and then so we got the first bit where there was a big sort of swerve when they were facing off and then it's like oh, here's a battle scene and it's like, alright, oh, it's a simulation. Um, so you're, you're like, twice they've kind of been like, oh, it's about to be a big fight here. And then, no, it's not for one reason or another. But uh, we'll come back to this in a minute. It becomes relevant later on. <laughs> They're teasing you and you don't like it. <laughs> no, 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 it's not that. I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, there's a third point to finish this off later on, but uh, okay. we can move on for now. Um, I had a note here, just which which could go in anywhere, just to say there's a lot of canting in this book. There, there but, is a lot of canting, depicted by the use of the angled bracket, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> which I, which I like to think is a real bit of of Martian code. That, <laughs> that's how they they signal a cant to the omnisire, is with a lesser known <laughs> piece of of. Uh, of the, the use of the keyboard anyway um yeah ambassador melgator who i have to say i forgot existed <laughs> um he visits zeth in uh, her forge with a tech priest assassin now we don't know who they are but they're basically sexy murderer women and um she sort of stays behind and Cause she can sort of, she can do magic herself and she can like, she picked the brain of Zeth and her novice or her novitiate, uh, without them noticing and knew that Dahlia was still alive. Uh, and you know, going out to the, Noctis Labyrinthus or whatever it's called. Um, so she, she's called uh, Ramier, um, she goes to investigate and the the member of the group who was left behind, uh, she visits in her hab and basically tortures her for where Dahlia is and gets that information.
1: Yeah. And, and like when you, so we talked about there being multiple factions on Mars and it was quite a revelation, I thought that, um so I think it said she's a tech priest assassin, right? Yeah. And that. Having never heard about them before, suddenly you find out there's this extremely powerful mm. and deadly uh, faction who answer to no authority save that of unknown masters. And you're thinking, like, that must be quite a worry. Yeah, uh,
0: <laughs> definitely. And Zeth is, like, shitting herself overseeing this person. And she is able to, like, the, the noosphere thing that we mentioned in the first bit of the book, which, I, like, was literally just invented... By Zeth, uh, Ramier is able to decode that and and infiltrate it, and you're like, well, okay, that seems pretty useful on her behalf, but, um, yeah, it's uh, it seems madness to me.
1: Yeah, um, and there's a bit about here about Melgator is talking about the Emperor attacking Mars, um.
0: Yeah, he's, he's saying Melgatorch is trying to make Zeth believe that it's the Emperor is the source of this code that's destroying so much of Mars that um, with the end of the Crusade coming, um, he <coughs> is now trying to sort of dissolve the unity that they have with the Martian Empire and take it all for himself.
1: I mean, that's obviously not what's happening, but... Uh... It kind of makes sense. You know what I mean? Like in terms of what the the Emperor is out on this, you know, body um imperial you know, building of an empire by killing loads of populations of planets and stuff like that and expanding. And once they've achieved that, in terms of that as a plan, it sort of makes sense that they would attack Mars. Yeah. Um but uh Yeah. They've but- shown no desire to coexist with any other
0: uh, entity that calls itself, you know, separate and uh, and an empire. So, yeah.
1: Plus, Mars is always going on about worshipping things and having a religion, which is on other planets. They always, like cause for, you know. Yeah, totally. The, the, the Imperium like, instantly destroying them.
0: Uh, and and that's something that I would really want to come back to as well at the end of this. Um, so, Dahlia and uh the rest of that crew find themselves into uh into this cave in the side of a mountain which dahlia knows is uh the heart of this labyrinthine nocturnus whatever I, that's the wrong term i keep i've used about three different incorrect terms but it's that kind of thing
1: Wait. We've kind of jumped over a subplot here, which we could just completely ignore. But there's the there's the sort of AI thing that turned up in yeah. the first book. It attacks them that th- on a when they're on a train, basically. Yeah,
0: yeah. That well, that's still. Yeah, that's the next bit, really.
1: I thought you were saying oh, they they you'd taken them, they were in the cave
0: now. But that's yeah, that's what happens as they enter into the cave. The right. AI thing attacks them. Um, I, I think you're right though in that like there isn't really a need to mention it as far as like as far as the major plot goes but it attacks them destroys the train thing that they're on but Dahlia finds that she can do this magical new thing by like reaching out to it and blocking its scanners and making them think or making it think that they're all dead and it sort of scarpers, and they make a run for it.
1: And, and yeah, um, alongside this, two of the, the knights of Tyrannus, who we saw in the first half, most of them, their forces have gone to um, help Zeth yeah. and the other people that have sort of stayed loyal to the Emperor. Um, but two of them, like one of them who got... I can't remember his name. Maven. Yeah, Maven. His He had a fight with it and it sort of was ingrained in his machine human consciousness or whatever when he was in his um, night. So he kind of had a sense of where this machine was and he got one of his friends to come with him to try and track it down. So they kind of follow the trail of this thing, which is trying to find Delia. Yeah.
0: Um, Cut to Terra and uh, Malkador and are talking about the sort of scattered reports they're getting from mars and the the need to secure some key manufactories uh, that are you know that produce the armor and weapons for the astartes and without that then there's really no hope so they send a bunch of the imperial fists uh in some ships to mars there's a bit more to talk about there but i think I think we'll get to that later on in the series to be honest. Um
1: well, like yeah, well, one thing I, I did want to raise here is um and I'm sure there's been reference to this before, but uh, so he's Malkador is talking to Rogo Dorn about just the the heresy basically, which you know at this point they they know about um
0: but so he's they, talking about- They don't know how big it is at this point. They think it's a bit of a smaller problem than yeah uh, and it turns out to be
1: so there's a saying horus has three of his brother legions with him yeah you you have your fists and 13 others then doran says would they were 15 um and malcador says do not even think it my friend they're lost to us forever right so this is i'm sure we've had something about this before there's like a couple of legions that are like people don't even talk about it anymore, it's not yeah. not ones that have rebelled in the heresy but there's some kind of thing here which must be like, I think an exciting thing in the lore to people that they're just kind of dropping little hints into now and again Um, but anyway, sorry, yeah there, there's not much need to go over that other than to say <laughs> that the Rogel Dorn sends a bunch of Imperial fists, one of whom is described as your classic space marine hothead and <laughs> Malk- Malkador is a bit worried about him but but that he, never really turns a, into anything in the story. So. Yeah,
0: but uh, because he's a, a Sigismund is a bit of a hothead they send this other one who is a bit boring. So I think they think <laughs> that's going to cancel out. <laughs> um. Um. And yeah, so that's what that's that's the great genius of Ruggedorn for you. Um, <laughs> So yeah, this is when it all starts kind of happening, really. Zeth's Forge is attacked by Mortis. Just the entirety of the Legio basically just comes and fucking starts taking it to pieces. And there's a a pretty decent defense, but in the end, there's no real challenge. Um, However, then Tempestus show up and destroy a few um, warhounds and... uh, and, uh, reaver i think and it's a it's a pretty good battle scene don't you think
1: it is pretty good apart from and this is where i go back to the two previous sort of almost battle scenes but not battle scenes it's like so it kept on saying like here's the big battle gonna begin and it doesn't a couple of times and then it finally gets to it but at that point it's like it's too late in the storyline in the sense that this is a weirdly low stakes battle it's kind of completely pointless because they they've already decided by this point that they're gonna um, self destruct. Basically, the yeah. the the good forces. So oh, yeah, well, we haven't really said what the Space Marines do. They they come in and they're like, do we just want our ammunition. Yeah. And weapons? <laughs> they they make a smash and grab
0: of the loyalist. <laughs> the only loyalist forges. They're like, zoik, and take <laughs> take all the stuff. And then Kane um, is like. You're, you're going to protect the forge and they're like no nah, no nah, mate it's already gone <laughs> we're off and and yeah, yeah so
1: it, he, he goes with them though. i think doesn't he yeah he, well he, yeah
0: he's he's sort of crowned the last living
1: um fabricator general yeah so he's the he's the new like official fabricator general and they um so so then so yeah, they're just getting completely overwhelmed by these like these forces, numbers of forces in the Dark Mechanicum are just like ridiculous. It sort of talks about this battle where like nine hundred thousand died and and it's just ridiculous numbers and like the so all the loyalists to the Emperor forges are getting overrun and they basically agree that they're gonna um just blow themselves up and uh so so as to not let their forges fall into the hands of the um dark dark mechanicum um so <clears throat> which makes then there's like the the big fight scene of the book then happens when it's basically like legio tempestus face legio mortis and it is like in its own right it's it's a pretty good um scene but it's like it's just very low stakes it seemed to me because like you knew what was happening you knew that was happening anyway, so it was like, it doesn't really matter if you win or lose this fight, it's just...
0: I don't know, that. I, th- I kind of think that these, the whole, the whole of the Black Library, love a, a noble stand in the face of certain defeat. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. it's like
1: quite a lot of these books. I know, but like, it's like, this wasn't even like, it wasn't even like, uh, it was just purely fighting for the sake of it it wasn't even like a bit in like there's a bit in i'm sure it's like the silmarillion where like one of the characters is like surrounded by like hundreds of thousands of orcs and there's like a few of them and they're like standing on top of a hill and they're literally like they know they're going to die but they're like fighting and sort of taking as many enemies down with them as they can and that's the kind of one thing because that's like uh, they're doing whatever they can in a to 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 make a stand or whatever yeah I, I mean i totally know what you mean this but, but this was like purely for like the pride of them winning a fight before mm-hmm. everyone died anyway and it kind of just like i mean i'm not saying some people maybe enjoy that but for me like it just sort of the stakes of the whole or just took the stakes away from the whole thing rather than it being like um they're to be a difference made by how well they did in that battle there was like literally no difference going to be made by how they did it was like where they were fighting it all got swallowed up by like mag mag while they released the lava out of the volcano and they all died so it was like i just thought it was weird because it's like they've kind of been holding off this fight in terms of the the story throughout and then by the time it came around it was sort of irrelevant you know yeah yeah i can see that um, but anyway, yeah, it was still it was still quite well described.
0: So this is when shit gets really weird. So um, Dahlia and the rest of that lot they find this like operating room inside the mountain, uh, and Dahlia knows this is where they're meant to be. And there is like a, a a stone wall with a a kind of human outline on it, but it's a uh, it's like charred, um, something. It's like a yeah, almost a painted um, type thing, um, but with scraps of parchment with the photographs almost of of people with auras, and well, do you know what these were for? No, no, I've got no idea. Anyway, the person who takes them is a guy called Semyon. and he's the guardian of the dragon
1: and I, yeah sorry. I, I just couldn't stop thinking of this guy um as being called simon right which made it funny made it funnier to, when you read a sentence like this <laughs> i i need simon. no name for my name is insignificant against the vast echo and emptiness of the darkness but men once called me simon <laughs> 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 it's like um uh a lot of the snk fighting games
0: that they, they all have like uh, really cool fighting names, and then every now and again, there's somebody called like Robert or something <laughs> like that, and it's like Iori versus Robert, and it's just such a, it's just such a, like a, a tonal shift. Um, so yeah, he he basically takes them into this large, well, this huge spherical chamber, um inside the mountain and ah, it's um it's made from like impossible angles and reflections and perspectives
1: your classic vague like lovecraftian non euclidean geometry type thing
0: and it is so vague that it's almost like yeah okay fine they all kind of feel uncomfortable and some of them just go straight up mad because of the impossibility of the angles, I suppose. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. Like literally, I don't know. I don't know. Um, But then Semyon takes Dahlia to a book that's on a, a lectern and says, looks into her eyes and says, you need to see all the knowledge. And that is where we get the story. Which is my
1: <laughs> my thing just oh, just Jesus. just before we get on to that, which because uh, I know you're gonna want to enjoy that and uh, spend some time on it. Uh, you said what was that machine for? and it uh, turns out Simon provided an explanation of it himself which <laughs> 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 so I thought was a real- he was really good value as a character really funny like just very um uh yeah, very like. Um, sort of I don't know, just like coming out with lines like this Pa, pa, it's too complex for the likes of you to comprehend snapped Simeon, but for the record this is my very own gas discharge machine of the perturbation variety which creates creates pulsed electrical field excitations and thus measures electrophotonic glow what the less sophisticated might call auras so there you go Neil yeah, Yeah. no more needs to be said about that,
0: okay, well yeah, no fair enough described adequately (laughs) um so dahlia in her vision goes back like is is taken to libya on earth at the time of the crusades and the dragon is a real dragon (laughs) (laughs) so caxton was right all along (laughs) um and he, he has been in conflict with other dragons And needs to rest. And in order to. Regain its strength. It requires the death of a beautiful maiden. Every day. It's not really explained how that helps. But it does. Um, And a knight. A shining knight. From Diocletian's army. Mortally wounds it. And takes the dragon away. To be. Because it's beyond his abilities to kill it so he says he will bind it forever in a, a faraway place now that is the story of saint george right so that, yeah. that is saint george slaying the dragon saint george was part of the Ecclesian's army
1: but i was just wondering what the fuck was going on here it, like
0: it no it, it that's it that that's what it
1: was but i was like i was like so is the dragon like Chaos thing, um, no. The dra-
0: it- I think the dragon is a, an, a a sort of another. I would think of it as an elder god,
1: right? Um, and because I, I was like, I was still at the end of it. because there were a couple of lines thrown in about like, when we don't know how much truth there is to this. And like, because this is shown to Delia in a vision by, Samian, yeah, or or like she she touches a book or something and that causes her to have this vision, and. Uh, he kind of says, "Well, you know, it's not." He says something to the effect of, "You know, you can't take it completely literally, or something like that." Um, but as far as it's described, yeah, it basically is an actual dragon. So then, then you're asked asked, then you're left with thinking things like, "Well, how did they, how did they get the dragon onto Mars?" Well, that's but, it. How did?
0: Uh, right. Okay. So well, I think we need a bit, <clears throat> bit of explanation, and this is what you know the the truth that would shake the galaxy is that the dragon's dreams sort of bleed out of the cave and were the things that caused the first priests of Mars to start creating technology. So that's what the, the emperor did. And so the realization of that, um, did that what was the line uh that dahlia said um sorry let me just find the scale of the deception was beyond measure and the callousness of it took her breath away Mm -hmm. to lie to so many people to twist the destiny of a planet to suit one man's aim even a being so lofty as the emperor was a crime of such monstrous proportions that dahlia's mind shied away from that awful calumny so he brought the dragon to Mars so that its dreams could populate the minds of the Martian priesthood who would then um, take their culture in the direction of uh, machine worship and then would create this legend of the Omnisire, which he would then fulfill by appearing to them as the Omnisayer, yeah, that is, and so if Mars find that out, they would see that everything they believed in was, in fact, uh, engineered.
1: See, that doesn't really make sense to me because I, I, I think the that...
0: doesn't it doesn't this fucking <laughs> thing make sense to you? This the most baroque, fucking stupid plan I've ever heard in my entire life.
1: Plus, it's like, but no, it's the issue of them, it's the idea of them taking issue with it that doesn't make sense to me. It's like, they go, surely if someone worshipped a deity or being and they told you about, and then you found out they did this incredible thing uh, that showed their great power and omniscience and everything, then they'd just be like, well, yeah, he's the omniscient. Of course he would have a plan and, you know, he would want us to do this thing and then he would... uh, he would appear to fulfill it. You know what I mean? I, there's nothing in that that contradicts. Oh, I no, I they're worshiping I, I, of him. Like,
0: there is like they would. I totally disagree. There, I think they do have their self-respect. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like they would just uh, they could see it as just the most monumental <laughs> uh, engineering. It's it's basically the removal of their free will, really. Uh, if if everything that they did, every decision that they made, was actually to a plan made by him, yeah, but let me just bring up, but um, isn't
1: that isn't that a pretty normal religious, um, idea? So you know what I mean—that you are everything is the plan of the the deity, the the creator. I mean, it seems to me that that wouldn't be particularly surprising if you were actually a worshiper of the omniscient or, or a god or whatever
0: well like a lot of them don't think he is
1: yeah it's true some of them are like are going down a more um sort of atheist path i guess but but
0: also just they they think he is uh, an aspect of it rather than the yeah. whole and the stuff. whole of it. yeah but my my point i again it it comes down to um the the this is just a perfect depiction of the emperor who is clearly so incredibly smart and powerful that he just overthinks everything. So he, he knows that he is going to need uh, uh, some kind of army of technological savants in the future. So in order to do that, he is going to create a religion about himself, which he will then fulfill at some point in the future. And at that point in the future, he will tell them religion is wrong and stupid. <laughs> and, and, and if you remember, the very first time he meets them, he started deleting memories out of Kelbor Hal's head. <laughs> <laughs> Be- because there is a thing on mars which is too powerful t- for them to have so he doesn't allow them to have it but he leaves it there <laughs> no. and he also leaves underground a huge dragon with the memories of everything that he did to fuck up their world <laughs> like, it well, is
1: wild it is why saying? does he
0: need that and also he is he has the ability during the first crusade to take a dragon to Mars. <laughs> You're like, what the fuck did he do after that? Like, for the next it, thousand years. It's such <laughs> a
1: weird, weird <laughs> way, turn for this story to take. I was like, uh, I don't know. Like, I was not, I didn't expect that to be where we finished up at in the story, to be honest. Like, um, and also, St. George, who
0: the Emperor is, um wasn't alive during the first crusade either that was the story did you not does, you obviously didn't does, read the same hagiographies during university as i did does <laughs> does,
1: does does it say the first crusade he said uh, it was around the, uh, so somewhere about the 11th century yeah, so yeah 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 so um, that,
0: that lines up but um he was sort of uh press ganged like he died he, he died centuries before uh, but he, because he was like a warrior knight, he was obviously favored by, um, the, the, the knights of the crusade. Yeah. And so he was like the, the more famous stories that tell his story kind of transplanted him into their, their own time. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You were probably still doing your modern history at this point. Well, when I when I was reading these, the, the George's hagiography Anyway, anyway, the whole point is that this reveal is so unbelievable that I love it. <laughs> like it's so stupid. Like it is the most intricate, badly thought through, but wonderful nonsense story that i can possibly imagine i just hope people take all of these weirdo threads and just create an even crazier story
1: Um, start
0: making the emperor all these different fascinating people through history
1: oh yeah that's kind of what i I want to um uh that's that's one of the the main sort of things to keep you going in this book see what the emperor ends up being all about you know um but i was sorry this made made me just want to look up when the da vinci code was written (laughs) because because it seems to cast like quite a big sort of background influence over these Mm -hmm. books you know like when it like because quite often they'll go back to like something from real history and like suggest that there was some secret here's what that was actually really all about it and here's how it ties into
0: Yeah, well, um, don't the cabal say that they have been sort of engineering shit um, throughout time in order to better fight chaos and the the emperor seems to have been well I mean we now know that the emperor was alive during what the 11th century god why did he take so long like he's able to fly to mars with a dragon under his arm why did he take so long to start creating technological wonders and huge advances in sciences and stuff
1: it's just wild like um that that there was more than enough to tell a good story just on taking the mars setting at face value you know what i mean there was like yeah. there was plenty of good stuff um, as we talked about in in the first uh, the first, when we talked about the first part, and it's just, and it doesn't even seem to really help explain anything <laughs> it in terms of the wider anything. heresy. <laughs> it's just completely, um, <laughs> I don't know what. Wait, like, I just, I, don't, I just don't, I, it doesn't do anything. Like, this aspect of the plot
0: doesn't do anything. Like, it has no influence on the conflict of Mars. Like, The the whole point, like Dahlia, um, Simon falls to pieces and Dahlia has to stay behind because she has taken on the new mantle of the protector of the dragon. Basically, watching over the dragon (laughs) and making sure that he doesn't wake up or whatever. Yeah. Um, And that's it. That's the book, really.
1: (laughs) Sorry, that just reminded me of like... so, And then Romu 31 becomes her, like, Guardian, yeah. Basically, he's going to stay with her all this time because Simon also had a guardian. Who was this like? Who was this like? Uh, servitor who had like a chainsaw in one arm and some other weapon in the other arm, and like he broke the rule of this book. You know, like the sort of Chekhov's gun uh, thing of like if you see a chainsaw chainsword in on a, a character whose arms are entirely weapons in act one, <laughs> someone will definitely get sawn in half in act three, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um he did he didn't do anything. He just like crumbled away when cause Simon just sort of crumbled away into right. dust. Yeah, And um and then Dalia Delia took on the new role and I was like, well that's not it's not like these books. You know what I mean? It was like um it reminded me of oh, I was going back a few books now, but there was the sort of like bodyguard guy for the um remembrancer who joined up with the horace and his crew the bad guys oh, yeah. and, and he got like bigger uh, and stuff and you just knew he was going to do some nasty killing and sure yeah. enough he did yeah. until he I act on cruise um that's right he, he he was getting the better of our boy wasn't he <laughs> uh, uh yeah. i act on uh Sorted out in the end, but anyway, he reminded this. I was like, when this guy came in, seeming an unimportant character with very conspicuous weapons as arms. I was like, he's going to be doing some some killing, but no, um, a surprising book in <laughs> various <laughs> levels, really <laughs> subverting things
0: that <laughs> I, I didn't re- even realise when I was reading them. They were so subversive.
1: <laughs> the first postmodernist uh, <laughs> Horace heresy book in the series.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, now we know. I mean, it is a bit of a juicy secret that Saint George was fucking the emperor. Of the, of oh, it's the it's obviously,
1: but you're right. He's <laughs> mentioned he's obviously not just going to be Saint George. That's just going to be one of many, many, oh, many yeah. roles he's had. But um, that, is, I
0: mean, actually, that's no, no. Well, um, because <laughs> I'm just like, you don't want, you don't want the emperor to be part of the First Crusade. Like those, those weren't. That's not a good thing to be part of.
1: But what he's doing now is also not a good thing. No, but like
0: <laughs> yeah, like the whole idea was um unifying uh humanity and that <laughs> that is not what the first crusade wanted. No. Um anyway, anyway. Let's not go down the the route, but obviously the Emperor is a Christian.
1: <laughs> so. And here like the like unusually it's sort of in a sense, the story is unusually self-contained for these books. You know, like well, apart from these <laughs> all these like weird threads it leaves untied up in relation to dragons and so on. But in terms of like Mars itself, like basically at the end of it, so Delia and Romu Thirty One are living in a cave as guardians of the, or as, like not a guardians, but like overseers of the dragon or whatever. Um. All the loyalists, the Emperor forges have melted themselves or destroyed themselves in some way. Um, the Dark Imperium rules Mars uh, and Rogal Dorns managed to ship off a decent amount of armor and shit for the uh, Space Marines. Yeah. And that's kind of, I mean, I'm sure Mars will come into it more, but like that's kind of, you know what I mean? It's like, there's not an ongoing conflict on Mars really now. at this point it's kind of resolved for the time being but i would i
0: would think that also might mean that the next book that we get into will have a fairly nice uh unfettered beginning If you know what i mean like it it might have a a sort of a nice clean break to begin something in you Um, the next
1: the next book's the short first short stories book oh cool so i'm looking forward to that
0: yeah uh do you want to tell us what that is because i don't know
1: uh i can't write. i think it's called just called tales of heresy or something like that um and uh i'll quickly i bet
0: you i bet you since they're short stories i bet they will be a lot based on just pure on action
1: yeah uh, that wouldn't surprise me but um
0: and i would be i'd be ready for that i think no i'd be ready for just a bit of uh, blood and
1: guts Tales of Heresy, because there was a lot of the war in this was um, as, as as we mentioned earlier, describing that sort of montage kind of way. And mm-hmm. um, well, you know, it did describe a lot of scenes going on around Mars with these unbelie- unbelievably huge battles. Um. Yeah, so I think it's it, yeah, it's just Tales of Heresy. Cool. Edit, edit edited by Nick Kime and Lindsay Priestley. Featuring stories by Dan Abnett, Gan- Gav Thorpe, Graham McNeil, James Swallow, and more. Gav Thorpe. <laughs> you can't be an author called Gav. So let's see. Let's see what the, the titles of the stories are. Blood Games by Dan Abnett. Cool. Wolf at Wolf at the Door by Mike Lee. Scions of the Storm by Anthony Reynolds. The Voice by James Swallow. Call of the Lion by Gav Thorpe. The Last Church by Graham McNeil and After De Shea by Matthew Farrer. Okay. So there we go. Very exciting. Looking
0: forward to that already. So um, I guess that just leaves us to um, thank everyone for listening. Um, If you do like the podcast, do uh, write reviews. Those are always very welcome and we really do enjoy reading them. Um, Tell your friends, spread the news of the podcast, um we really do appreciate it um you can contact us at horseheretics at gmail.com and uh we really enjoy uh getting your emails um will is there if there's anything else
1: that you want to bring up now's the time no i don't think so we'll we'll uh, see you next time
0: see ya